Hello all and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is titled, Surviving Two Pacific Battles Only to Disappear in the Bermuda Triangle. Today's episode of No Home for Heroes is taken from the files of the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation, and I wish I could say we could solve this mystery, but sadly, it won't be solved today. Captain George William Stivers Jr. is not a name you will probably know. What you will have some memory of is something called Flight 19, or the mysterious place known as the Bermuda Triangle. And Captain Stivers is forever linked to that mystery. I'm your host, Rick Stone, bringing you another great and true story from our vault of history's military mysteries. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We invite you to listen to all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast or streaming platform you prefer. We dedicate today's episode to our loyal listeners in Piedmont, Missouri, home to just one traffic light and not quite 2,000 residents, and a long-missing hometown hero, who is not forgotten here. When we say Flight 19 in the same sentence with the Bermuda Triangle, just about everyone has some knowledge of the story. It usually goes something like this. Oh yeah, a bunch of airplanes vanished after being abducted by space aliens, or were they eaten by a sea monster, or flew into a time warp, or well... Just ran out of gas and crashed into the ocean. What most people seem to overlook is that there were 14 American servicemen on those, quote, bunch of planes who were lost. And those American servicemen are the real story. Frankly, we could have chosen any of these 14 heroes or the 13 heroes who vanished in an often forgotten and ill-fated rescue attempt. We could have chosen any one of those individuals to highlight in our episode today. But, and there's always a but in history's military mysteries, we picked one of those 14 heroes in Flight 19, whose final flight into oblivion was not at all a fate that anyone could have predicted. George William Stivers Jr. was born in 1920 in Piedmont, Missouri. His father, George William Stivers Sr., was a former representative in the Missouri legislature, and he died in 1939. George Jr. was handsome and described as an all-American boy. He was extremely popular with everyone who met him, and he was a party favorite and known to usually be the last one to leave the party. George graduated from the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland in 1942 at the beginning of World War II and soon joined the war effort in the South Pacific. 
As a fresh second lieutenant, he was part of a Marine platoon in the 1st Raider Battalion. The Raiders were developed as a Marine Corps Special Force with a threefold mission. One, to spearhead larger amphibious landings on beaches thought to be inaccessible. Two, to conduct raids requiring surprise and high speed. And three, to operate as guerrilla units for lengthy periods behind enemy lines. He soon transferred to George Company, 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines on Guadalcanal. Lieutenant Stiver's company was withdrawn to New Zealand after fighting on Guadalcanal for a period of refit and retraining in anticipation of the invasion of Tarawa. In New Zealand, Lieutenant Stivers was cited for gallantry during the Bloody Guadalcanal campaign, and he was transferred to the headquarters company. In November 1943, Lieutenant Stivers' unit was transported from their training bases in Wellington, New Zealand, to Tarawa on board the USS Haywood. At 0917 hours on the first morning of the battle, that's 20 November 1943, 522 officers and men of the 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines, began their assault against Red Beach 3 on Tarawa. They were in multiple waves commanded by Major Jim Crow and were carried in an assortment of both amphibious tractors, which are known as LVTs, and Higgins boats or landing craft known as LCVP. Approximately 500 yards from the beach, the LCVPs crashed into the reef surrounding Tarawa and found that there was not sufficient water for them to float over the reef. The slower-moving LVTs were able to crawl over the reef with their tank-like tracks, but they were under heavy concentrated fire from Japanese 70mm anti-boat guns on their left flank and other weapons, including artillery, and multiple machine gun positions. The landing craft carrying Lieutenant Stiver's company reached a point in line with and only a few yards east of the head of the pier that jutted out from Red Beach 3. The pier was essentially the dividing point between Red Beach 2 and Red Beach 3. At this point, the LCVPs, the Higgin boats, became hung up on the reef and could go no farther. The ramps on the front of the LCVPs were lowered, and Marines leaped into the water to begin the long wade to shore in chest-deep water. Within minutes, many were torn to pieces by artillery explosions and a massive amount of machine gun fire. The battalion communications officer in the headquarters company, assigned to Lieutenant Stivers, was 2nd Lieutenant George F. Kern. Lieutenant Kern was seriously wounded in the leg while attempting to reach the shore and was last seen wading back out toward the reef to seek evacuation to a ship off shore. Lieutenant Kern was never seen again and is unaccounted for to this very day. Well, by 1944, Lieutenant Stivers had seen just about enough of ground combat in the South Pacific. He applied to become an air cadet. That same year, Lieutenant Stivers received his wings from the Naval Air Station in Corpus Christi, Texas, and was promoted to captain. He was then transferred to the Naval Air Station in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He was assigned to train on the TBM-TBF Avenger-type torpedo bombers, and by the time he reached Naval Air Station Fort Lauderdale, he had not quite 375 flight hours listed in his logbook. 
World War II was over in both Europe and the Pacific on that fateful day of 5 November 1945 at the Naval Air Station in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Captain Stivers slept late. He slept in after a late night party the night before because, hey, he was not scheduled to fly until the afternoon. Captain Stivers, along with two other Marine crewmen, Sergeant Robert Gallivan, who was the gunner, and Private Robert Grubel, who was also a gunner but taking the place of absent radio man on the flight. Captain Stivers' crew members were all Marines, and in fact, Sergeant Gallivan had served on both Guadalcanal and Tarawa as a, well, kind of a mechanic uh, on, on the ground. He wasn't a gunner until later on after those battles when he transferred uh, to take gunnery school. But Sergeant Gallivan was a veteran Marine. Private Grubel was a latecomer to the war, and, and his claim to fame was that he just loved to fly. In fact, he took the radio man's position on this particular flight on 5 December 1945. He didn't know anything about radio, being a radio man, but it was a chance to fly, so he sat in the radio position. Captain Stivers was assigned to a training squadron of five TBM Avenger aircraft that would, on this day, become famously known forever as Flight 19. Captain Stivers' aircraft used call sign FT-117 during the flight, and in radio parlance of the day, his call number would have been spoken as Fox Terror 117. Fox Terror 117. Flight 19 was supposed to perform a routine navigation exercise. This is kind of one of those exercises that the military has. It's kind of a canned thing. It's already in the book. You know what you're supposed to do. There weren't supposed to be any surprises. This was a simple triangle navigation exercise. Supposed to perform this routine navigation exercise, make a mock bombing run over what were known as Hens and Chicken Shoals in the Bahamas, and then return to Naval Air Station Fort Lauderdale. The expected duration of the training flight was 3 hours and 13 minutes. At 14.10 hours, that's 2.10 in the afternoon of 5 November 1945, Flight 19 left the Naval Air Station in Fort Lauderdale, which, by the way, has now become the Fort Lauderdale-Hollywood International Airport. Not quite two hours later, there came the first hint of trouble at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 1600 hours. An intercepted radio message believed to be between the flight leader of Flight 19, an individual named Navy Lieutenant Charles Taylor, and another pilot who was in the air indicated that the instructor, that's Lieutenant Taylor, was uncertain of his position and the direction of the Florida coast. Further, the aircraft seemed to be experiencing compass malfunction. Over the next few hours, additional transmissions over the radio were inadequate to establish the exact nature of the trouble or the location of the group. The last transmission from Lieutenant Taylor was logged in at 6.20 p.m. It was simply this, quote, All planes close up tight. We'll have to ditch unless landfall. When the first plane drops below 10 gallons, we all go down together, end quote. 
Then, all radio contact was lost. A PBM patrol plane carrying 13 crew members was launched at approximately 7.30 p.m. to search for the missing Flight 19. This aircraft was never seen nor heard from after takeoff. Based upon a report from a merchant ship off Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood, which cited a, quote, burst of flame, apparently an explosion, and passed through an oil slick at a time, end quote. This place matched the presumed location of the PBM rescue plane. It's believed that the rescue plane exploded at sea, and no trace of this plane or its crew has ever been found. And, as we mentioned earlier, no trace of Captain Stivers or any of his crew members of Flight 19 have ever been found. The irony of Captain Stiver's loss is really beyond description. Imagine, if you will, after surviving two of the bloodiest battles in World War II as a Marine combat officer in the South Pacific, witnessing the end of the war, Captain Stiver's vanished without a trace somewhere off the warm white sands and swaying palm trees of Hollywood, Florida. You know, as the police chief in Hollywood, I saw many things wash up on Hollywood Beach. Some were kind of grim. Bodies, things washed up like bales of drugs from drug smugglers off the coast, boats full of Cuban refugees, and even World War II era torpedoes and mines, but nothing related to Flight 19 or Captain Stivers, nothing to solve this mystery. I have this funny feeling that as long as some of us remember Captain Stivers, he and his flight, Flight 19, will someday be found. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We hope you've enjoyed today's production, and we invite you to check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts. No Home for Heroes is featured on just about any podcast site all over the world. We greatly appreciate your comments, and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We again thank you for your support of our mission to provide information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. Every assistance counts, and you do make a difference. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas, I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes. But shameful is the nation that, having heroes, forgets them. <laughs>